about Texas, history has its place. On the other side of Texas, justice rules the case. They don't like it, they don't love it. They say we're all wrong, but on the other side of Texas halls, we roll on. Hey there. Nice new intro that we got as we roll along in a new week. Jay West Texas Leeson here. Glad that you're tuning in and that you're telling friends that you hang out on the other side of Texas. We get there before the media. Somebody told me today, hey, um, I saw that guy that you had on the show last week, the guy who said that he had to prove who New Mexico was. Just saw the story today uh, in local media, but was well aware of it because of the show. Appreciate you listening. And as uh, we do roll along, they may say that we're all wrong. But we do what we do here on the other side, broadcasting from the Racer Car Wash Studios. Racer Car Wash voted Lubbock's best wash for five years running. Stop into one of five convenient locations across the Hub City for the best wash around, guaranteed there at racerwash.com. Scott Braddock, editor of the Quorum Report, get us all up to speed on what's going on in Texas politics, most influential form of government in your life, and that's why we talk about it here on the program, so you can be abreast and become abreast and take a bite out of the chicken breast as the legislature comes around beginning in January. We'll also have our friend Tim Snyder, the oil guru, on to talk about OPEC and what OPEC plans to do by, of course, whenever I say OPEC, I mean the organization of the petroleum exporting countries. What they plan to do with oil prices, I don't think that you'll see your gas hang around at $2 per gallon. Going to cut back on oil production. What that means and why they're doing it, coming up with Tim Snyder. Tim will be on about half an hour from now. Um, let me start the program by getting into some some daddy West Texas leasing affairs. Best and worst of the weekend. I um, Let's start with the best. Because the worst ends in my garage. I don't know about your garage, but my garage is the place where things that are unneeded or will be tended to later, it is it is the purgatory of things that we may need. And that's where things go to um, to be vanquished or to vanish, whatever it might be. That's my worst. I'll get into that here in just a moment. Best of the weekend. I met my new potential BFF this weekend, and his name is David Yost. And David Yost, somebody's going to sell a lot of mop heads at uh, Texas Tech vendors in the fall. A lot of blonde mop heads. Because David Yost, the new offensive coordinator at Texas Tech, is going to be great. And I can already tell. He's going to be great. Uh, he comes in with Matt Wells, and I went to the presser on Saturday. I was cleaning out the aforementioned garage <clears throat> and decided to uh, take off and 
to go down to the presser there at 11. And um, really impressive debut by Matt Wills. Uh, played well to a West Texas audience, and I don't think it could have gone much better. Somebody could have hit the Matadors song so that we didn't have to sing it a cappella like the Church of Christ version of Texas Tech Athletics. But it, uh, whenever I walked into the building, I went down the concourse to the floor, and that's uh, because I take the elevator, because I am the high-fluent media. And walking down the concourse, who do I see? Ten feet away, I see Yost. And he looked at me in complete disarray, like there's a crazy man and uh, walked up introduced myself i do think that david yost um i think that there's a good percentage just based on how how busy they are with players you could hear from david yost tomorrow right here on this program with me no x's and o's i promise just you hearing from david yost he he does have an eclectic way, and I think that listeners will enjoy listening with us uh, to David Yost. Uh, maybe tomorrow, uh, ho- hoping for tomorrow, if all things go well. Purgatory, that is my garage, the worst of the weekend. 39, my wife is 40, and we've got four little kids, and so things just go tune the garage it could be the amazon boxes it could be artwork it could be um it could be their little scooters it could be anything it all goes to the garage and there becomes i've learned three days a year where there's a reckoning in the garage and that reckoning was certainly underway on saturday that is also my worst and it wasn't a lot of fun i get I look at that garage, and I look at that garage. I went out, sipped on my coffee on Saturday morning in my robe, and just looked over the wasteland that was the Leeson Ponderosa garage. Because we've got all the Christmas stuff down now, right? Like, whenever you get the Christmas stuff down from the attic, the garage becomes not a two-car garage anymore, but a no-car garage. And so it becomes time to attack. Even though you got the shelving units... Even though you've got all the storage units, things overflow. I threw away things today. I didn't know what they were. I didn't know from whom they were. Who who gave them to us. I had no idea. But wound up just tossing indiscreetly. I don't know how much money we spent on this, but I don't know where the keys are for it anymore. So it's going away. I don't know who drew this. I don't know what it means, but it's going away. I don't know how much we paid for this. But it's going away. It all is just going away in the leasing garage. And um, I'm glad to say that we're to a point now where it's at least a one-car garage. Whenever we get into these seasonal transitions, the Thanksgiving and Halloween things go back up. The Christmas stuff comes down. And then you just do a good life evaluation of what's going to be in the wheels one day, what's not. And uh, I think I'm talking to my people right now, tapping on my heart. I, th- I think you know what I'm talking about. And it uh, was the worst. I get in such a bad mood. The kids just know that whenever Dad's in the garage, 
and he's not doing a project. He's not uh, he's not building Pinewood Derby. He's not enjoying himself. Don't even go out to the garage because you'll be told to hurry up and wait. Just stand there, and I'll tell you when to throw it away. I think you know where I'm at on all that. Uh, Scott Braddock's going to come on. He's going to talk to us about what's going on. Uh, some When there is not a clear, and I would say that at this point there's a fairly unclear Republican majority in the Texas House of Representatives, then there are folks on the far right who lose power. Scott Braddock's going to come on and talk to us about some developments there, as well as what we can expect going into the next legislature that starts in January. Then we'll get in with our friend Tim Snyder as we roll along here on the program. Going to talk about OPEC. He, he, what is it like for markets to be controlled by people who don't even live in America? And for you to be living in a huge oil patch that is West Texas oil. Going to hear from Tim Snyder on that. Big program. Stick right where you are. Red River. And this a sleep at will take you out. We'll be back in about 90 I seconds. Miles of Texas, all the stars up in the sky. I saw miles and miles of Texas. Gonna live here till I die. Uh, you want to be a part of the program? You can text in live time as we broadcast. Uh, eight oh six. That's 806-745-5800. If you've got questions, comments as we go along, Jennifer and Tim already jumping in there. You can as well. Um, Jennifer says, Purgatory, you've not seen Purgatory until you've seen my garage. I am not in the, I have no interest in doing part-time garage repair. Uh, none. So far as getting things up off the floor, uh, getting things organized, I've I've decided that I have a three-year rule. If that thing has been sitting there for three years and I don't need it, then it needs to go. Barring it being an essential tool, like I built the kids this big Taj Mahal treehouse that completely 100% defies city code. Because it's so, it's three stories tall. I'm no Ted Mitchell. I just played Ted Mitchell on the radio. Ted Mitchell, by the way, let me just go on an ADD riff here. Uh, Ted Mitchell, Jennifer, I don't know what to do about your garage. Sorry. Ted Mitchell says to me and a group of people, uh, Ted Mitchell is the chancellor at Texas Tech University, and says, uh, Hey, I was on an airplane recently, and somebody looked at me and said, Aren't you Jay Leeson? To which Ted Mitchell said, No, I'm not. Um, I'm I'm Ted Mitchell, Chancellor of Texas Tech University. So, for better or for worse, Ted Mitchell's got that going for him, and I've got that going for me for or against me I'm not sure uh, but I appreciate that about Ted Mitchell so no I, I'm not uh, I'm not interested in in any sort of maybe there are groups who want to advertise on the show um, 
maybe they want to advertise on the show. But I'm not touching anybody else's purgatory. Not at all. And by the way, how much of this stuff actually gets recycled? How much of the things that we actually put in the recycle bin? Because my understanding is that China was... China. China. Um, that the China was was buying a lot of recycles and now they aren't anymore and does that mean that this stuff's really getting recycled like are we busting our humps for nothing or or what's going on there and uh, i'm not clear about that and i need some answers on the respective maybe we'll do an insider other side of texas reports because recycling that's a difficult issue for a lot of people because I'm a Wesleyan, uh, theologically, um, and I don't think that, let me just say it this way, a lot of people have a rapture theology that says whenever things get tough, then the Lord's going to come back. And I think this plays into politics, so it's open game. Um, Whenever we have a predominant philosophy i'll just call it that not a theology but a a philosophy that says that we are whenever things get really tough everybody's going to get zapped up then that makes for some that makes for some difficulty so in west texas it's not you know the old narratives uh the old literature man versus man man versus nature uh man versus god in in uh, West Texas, it seems a lot of the case is if if you were even had your eyes open on Saturday, uh, in the haboob that was almost a haboob, it can be man versus nature, man versus God. Recycling not real popular, but if we're going to bust their humps and do it, they better actually be recycling this stuff. Okay, I'm going to come off that bender and go in with our friend Scott Braddock. He is the editor of the Quorum Report. He never knows what he's going to walk into here on the program. But, uh, That's not what I was expecting, but here we go. But uh, we certainly are glad that Scott Braddock is with us once again. Braddock, uh, you're playing. You're playing, and uh, you are there on vacation, but you're still chiming in the other side of Texas. I can't help myself, you know. It's the most talked about uh, afternoon radio program in all of West Texas, and it's all thanks to you, Jay Lee. And I think that we can stop hedging and saying talked about and just straight up say listen to. So Yes, number one. Uh, Braddock, tell us what's on your mind. Is Those of us who don't know much about Texas politics, you listen. Well, I'm just going to include myself with the masses. Maybe we don't know as much as you know which I think is pretty certain. But what are some things that folks who are listening on the airwaves right now need to know about what's going on in Austin mm-hmm. via Scott Braddock? Well, I can tell you that the process of building Texas government uh, began the day after the election, even even the night of the election probably, uh, you know, as the whole speaker drama was unfolding. wasn't quite as dramatic as we maybe thought it was going to be with Representative Dennis Bonin from Southeast Texas, from the Houston area, jumping out in the lead and saying he had 109 votes of both Republicans and Democrats who are ready to go to work, as he put it, in the Texas House. Meantime, it's very interesting that Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who is not known for being 
um, someone who's quiet, someone who hasn't said a whole lot since the election. You know, we're trying to figure out exactly where he's going to go uh, with his agenda for the Texas Senate uh, as the presiding officer and somebody who almost, just like a lot of the statewide Republicans, almost lost his race, uh, you know, for lieutenant governor in, in what I think uh, was sort of a surprise for him. Although, I know that he was among those who was leading the charge to try to shore up the Republican base in this state and try to shore up the Republican you know, red wall that the blue wave was about to hit. Uh, but I don't know that he's going to necessarily be more quote-unquote moderate, but he may not have a choice about it because of the numbers in the Senate, right? I mean, you had the Democrats pick up two Senate seats. That changes the math. You're about to have uh, a replacement for Senator Sylvia Garcia chosen in Houston uh, as the special election uh, plays out. And so it, for, the, for and that she's seat... she's a Democrat. It, that's right. And so you're going to have, it looks like, another Democrat in that seat. Uh, and so I think that one of the things that uh, gets lost sometimes is that these issues aren't necessarily partisan, not necessarily ideological. As you have pointed out many times on your program, a lot of times it's about urban versus rural or suburban versus rural or those suburbitarians, as you like to say, uh, who have their own agenda. Against uh, rural that, and urban. Suburbitarians yes. against rural and urban. Yeah, and, and now that whole calculus has been uh, sort of scrambled as well, right? Because you have uh, some uh, suburban seats that went to the Democrats in this, um, in this election, uh, and you had some uh, folks from places like Collin County, Tarrant County, um, Republican strongholds for many years, uh, you had Republicans almost lose their races in those places for legislative seats. So I think they're also rethinking exactly how they're going to approach this upcoming legislative session. Case in point, Jeff Leach, who is uh, a state representative from Plano, uh, just this weekend said that he's not going to be part of the so-called Freedom Caucus anymore. These are the uh, folks who say that they are more conservative than other Republican members of the House. As you know, they're not really more conservative than the other Republicans. They're just obedient to the man that you call Boss Dunn from Midland. Um, but what does that mean, that you have sort of a um, it may potential, maybe disbanding of the Freedom Caucus? We'll see, we'll see how far this goes, and if there are other members who decide to leave that uh, group and just get with the program and get on the actual Republican team. Uh, but you had, you know, uh, Matt Rinaldi, who was part of that uh, Freedom Caucus, who lost his race. Uh, and so I think they're going to try to figure out how to thread the needle here, whether they're going to be a little mo a little more toward, I wouldn't say even more moderate, but maybe focused on things that, you know, actually impact people's lives, sort of the bread and butter issues rather than the red meat. Uh, but you do have to temper all that by saying that the very next election that every Republican and Democratic member of the Texas House and Senate have to go through is their primary, right? they they got to get through the primary before they can go on to the general, which, you know, the math in the general elections looks different now. Uh, but you may have uh, some of these people who have portrayed themselves as more conservative, like Leach and others, who could see primary challenges if they're not seen as conservative enough by the people in their own party. So lots to figure out here. As I have said often, you know, trying to figure out uh, exactly what an election means, it can come down to looking a lot like a, you know, traffic, of, you know, traffic of, of, uh, accident investigator where there's, uh, you know, skid marks over here on the road and there's broken glass over there. You try to figure out 
what exactly happened. I think things are starting to come into focus. Or me standing in my garage with my Big Ben coffee cup or maybe my Pete Laney speaker coffee cup in my room <coughs> on Saturday morning wondering how did we wind up in the mess that we are out no. here in this garage. But that's the whole monologue. <laughs> you missed that part, Brad. Okay, well. Uh, four listeners, 150. Sounds charming, though. Well, it's it's charming because I have a robe on. Uh, 150 members in the house <laughs> and Leach yeah. being an indicator. And mm-hmm. Leach's Maybe. family, again, we're talking about Jeff Leach, elected yep. out of Collin County. That's right above Dallas. For those of you who need to Google that on your phones, but his family, he's got some family, lives in Lubbock, and they listen oh, yeah. to the show, mm-hmm. and we appreciate them listening. Sure, it comes absolutely. on mm-hmm. from time to time. But uh, Leach being, I've always thought that Leach was like the thoroughbred in a um, in a field of mixed horses. Mm-hmm. That uh, yep. he, he ought to be running for U.S. representative. Um, I, I would think that one day, Braddock, you and I will be doing other side of Texas and 15 years or so, and and Leach will be running for Senate or U.S. Senate, something like that. But it's certainly indicative of tea leaves that Leach would say, okay, uh, we're barely holding Republican majorities at this point, barely comparatively speaking, mm-hmm. but um, hey, I'm going to bow out and I'm going to go support Republicans, not just a faction of Republicanism in Texas. Well, yeah, the flip side, of course, could be what you're getting at is that, you know, this is someone who has a lot of talent, has a, you know, has the uh, certainly the ability to be somebody who can represent his community very Baylor, well. Baylor student but body it, president, and all those at the same time, at the same time, four years from out, you know, might not be in politics at all because the community he represents is changing, and he could be beaten by a Democrat in the next go around. We'll we'll all find out together. Yeah, uh, and the boss done that. Uh, if you're just beginning to listen <laughs> to the show, uh, boss done is the leader of. Uh, empower Texans. Uh, he controls it, so that's why we call him Boss Dunn. However, affectionately or not, I mean, he mm-hmm. can stick it in his ear for all I'm concerned, but you know, there <laughs> you right. go with, with Boss Dunn. Um, let's talk for a minute, Braddock, about something um, like these guys did not, in Tarrant County, which Fort Worth, just west of Dallas County, Tarrant County's been synonymous with radical republicanism in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a vice chairman of the party there mm-hmm. in Tarrant County who's a Muslim, mm-hmm. an initiative. Talk to us about what's happened there in, in the effort to remove him because he's Muslim. This uh, doctor, Shahid Shafi, is a surgeon who is also a member of the South Lake City Council in Tarrant County, uh, and he had come under pressure by some Republican activists, some so-called conservative activists, I should say people who self-identify as conservative doesn't necessarily mean that they are. Uh, but they were trying to push to get him uh, kicked out of his vice chairman spot with the Tarrant County GOP, uh, and there were some Republicans who had said that it was disgusting that he was targeted specifically because of his faith. Uh, Dr. Shafi this weekend was at the uh, state Republican executive committee meeting when the uh, executive committee uh, adopted a resolution saying that those who are trying to do this in Tarrant County are just wrong. Um, I can read from the resolution that they uh, adopted, uh, if you like. They said that, uh, quote, the Republican Party of Texas calls for all Republican organizations to advocate religious liberty 
for all Americans. The State Republican Executive Committee encourages all Republican County Executive Committees to follow the rules of the Republican Party of Texas related to participation in meetings and conventions and reaffirm our core values of religious liberty and the freedom to practice all faiths. I think that this uh, you know, speaks to the sort of soul-searching that a party has to do when there's an election like the one that you just had. You know, I think that uh, the social media reaction to this was probably appropriate when some folks were saying, well, it's, it's crazy that the Republican Party of Texas even had to talk about this, that they even had to take a vote to condemn this silly activity going on in Tarrant County, trying to kick a guy out uh, who apparently has been a pretty effective vice chairman and somebody who's been uh, you know, well thought of by Republicans in his community. Uh, but these people are trying to kick him out because he's Muslim. Um, if you lose races in your county, and they did, they lost a big one, uh, state Senate seat, uh, Connie Burton lost, uh, the Republican lost her seat uh, to a Democrat named Beverly Powell. If you lose, it probably shouldn't be the very first thing that you do to figure out who can you kick out of your group. How can you make your group smaller? Elections are about addition not subtraction. You have to have more people on your team than the other side has on their team. It's just as simple as that. Uh, and here you have Tarrant County, which has been uh, for decades, uh, you know, all through uh, my uh, career of covering uh, Texas politics, for sure, it's been the largest Republican urban county in the United States. And you get to this year, and the Democrats, you know, Beto O'Rourke is winning Tarrant County. You had uh, that Democrat that uh, Democrat beat that Republican for that state Senate seat, uh, and you had uh, other Republican officeholders either lose or come very close to losing. Uh, and so this is something we've seen play out, you know, play out before, Jay, uh, where Republicans lost, for example, when Mitt Romney lost to President Obama. And you may remember there was um, a report that was put together uh, by the Republican National Committee. It was sort of they called it an autopsy on that election to try to figure out what went wrong, why they couldn't win. And um, what the Republican Party said in their report was that what they needed to do was do better outreach to minority groups, to women, to you know some of those minority groups, including Hispanics, for example. Yeah. Uh, but you also have those within the party who argue that, no, the reason that our candidates are losing is because, quote, they're not conservative enough. These are the sorts of groups like Empower Texans, which we mentioned, chaired by Tim Dunn and uh, operated on a day-to-day -day basis by his spokesman, Michael Quinn Sullivan. They are those sort of folks who say that, look, Republicans don't win when they're not conservative enough. Uh, and if this election, if 2018 but, doesn't teach Republicans anything, it should be that those folks are absolutely on the wrong track because, again, you've got to have more people on your team than the Democrats have on their team if you're going to win as Republicans. And, uh, you know, you look at the track record of Empower Texans and those sorts of groups uh, this year, their candidates did not do well. To underscore the point, Empower Texans um, spent all incredible uh, amounts of resources on Connie Burton trying to get her, uh, you know, over the finish line in that state Senate seat in Tarrant County. Didn't work out. Uh, you even had a lot of Republicans who were voting for the Democrat because the Republican was not representing her community. She was representing um, this small group of contributors and uh, these folks who sort of adhere to a very strict uh, ideology that says that you can't paint outside these lines very much. Uh, and so, you know, voters in that area are tired of that. Braddock, we got about three minutes, but I want to yeah. follow up on what you just said, and I want you to explain this to listeners. You say conservative enough, but do you mean Christian enough? Uh, especially if we're talking about 
disbanding, doing away with a vice chairman who's Muslim. And let me put out this qualifier. I have been involved in evangelization of Muslims, okay? And I I don't mean to turn this into the gospel power hour, (laughs) but what I've learned in... I've always staggered to learn how many West Texans go on to Muslim countries because it's a natural integration because of the familial ties, the conservative family first, right? And then uh, the other conservative values that run just cross streams between Republicans and, I'm sorry, between uh, white American conservatives and Muslims. And I wonder if whenever you say conservative enough in Tarrant County means Christian enough, because in my experience, Muslims are plenty conservative whenever it comes to social values. Mm-hmm. Well, it depends on the issue. I think that, uh, yes, it, we were talking uh, just now about Empower Texans, chaired by a guy who is uh, someone who reportedly said to the Jewish Speaker of the Texas House, who is, of course, retiring, Joe Strauss, that they had a meeting where he said where Tim Dunn said that uh, only Christians should be in positions of power. I know there's a lot of the listeners who will agree with that, but I, I don't necessarily think that when you say uh, if someone is you know, conservative enough or not that that necessarily means they are uh, Christian enough. Um, you look at some of the other issues that uh, these groups have been focused on, for example, um, strict adherence to never ever the idea of never spending any money out of the state's uh, economic stabilization fund, rainy day fund as it's often called i don't know that that has anything to do with being uh, christian um, but it does have to do with um, you know sort of uh, tying the hands of lawmakers um, and making it uh, almost impossible for them to make the kinds of decisions that voters send them to austin to make you know writing the texas budget is a herculean effort we've talked about it many times it's a 200 billion dollar document that is written over a 24 month horizon and to be able to do that you need flexibility and you look at what's happening right now where that retiring speaker joe strauss um told the legislative budget board and this gets down to the weeds a little bit but he he made a motion at the lbb which is just some top lawmakers who make decisions about the budget um they decided at his urging to not rein in lawmakers just yet about how much money they're allowed to spend under the Texas Constitution. Um, That board is supposed to set a spending limit for the upcoming legislature. Their whole bottom line is they're holding off on that for right now because they know what they need to do in the meantime while there's a lot of uncertainty is to have flexibility. The price of oil uh, has been down, uh, which is not good for the Texas economy and therefore not good for the uh, state's budget writers. Um, you also have the upcoming costs associated with uh, recovery from Hurricane Harvey, um, and there is maybe a school finance solution on the horizon, as well as trying to address the property taxes that everybody's paying all across the state. And of course, everybody would tell you any property owner, any property owner would tell you they're paying too much in those taxes. Um, so folks want people to be, folks want the people in Austin to be focused on those things, um, and uh, these uh, third-party groups that have been sort of whipping the Republican members and telling them that uh, there are only certain things that they can do that will be considered conservative enough, that's wearing pretty damn thin down in Austin. I think it's wearing thin with people all around the state. Pretty damn thin. That's not a way to describe me, but I appreciate Scott Braddock giving that summary. And, uh, hey, have a good vacation. We're going to get off and uh, roll along here. 
Appreciate you, sir. Talk soon. All right, Scott Braddock, boys and girls. And uh, going to get in with our friend Tim Snyder coming up. Stick right there. We're going to talk about oil. And is it too low? Is it too high? Why is it the way it is? Uh, OPEC going to make a decision. And is it in West Texas's best interest? Tim Snyder coming up. Stick right where you are, right here on your other side. You were saying with a grin. To the sound of hailstones hitting ten. It's loud enough, you gotta yell now. The whole thing hits me like a song. A pretty one that won't last long. We talked about in the open about OPEC and how it could be raising the price of oil. What does that mean? for west texas we have somebody who knows what that means and we're going to get him on the show now he is tim snyder and he is also the president of matador economics tim snyder thank you for taking time to join us here on the program to talk us through what all this craziness means how are you i'm good jay it's good to be with you guys again please excuse me i'm in my uh I'm in my pickup truck. I'm, I'm heading to a meeting, and, and uh, so I'm, I may I may sound you might hear some road sounds, but hopefully you'll be able to hear me all right. No, that's okay. So I was reading a piece from Flipboard.com, new sponsor of the program. Thank you, Flipboard. Uh, but they had posted a piece from Market Watch, and I'm going to read this to you for those of us who don't understand how oil prices are dominated from without our reach it's not free market capitalism uh, but it's controlled by a different group of people and this is how it reads saudi arabia uses its prodigious oil revenue to support vast government giveaways and job programs to keep its citizens happy saudi arabia needs oil at 88 dollars a barrel to support these generous offerings and balance its budgets uh, we're right now at about the $60 range. The shortfall is big for Saudi Arabia and other countries as well involved in OPEC. Uh, is this an accurate description, Tim? It's close. I mean, it, it really is close. And I don't know if you remember this, Jay, but gosh, it's been a couple of years ago that you and me and Cliff Will talked about this on your show. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we're talking about, there's a difference between what our cost of production is here in the United States and what the Saudis say is their kind of cost of production because of the social cost associated. Now, remember that every barrel of crude oil that is produced in in, uh, Saudi Arabia, the citizens of the kingdom receive compensation for. All so right. it's like the Green Bay Packers of oil, right? Like everybody uh, yeah. everybody owns a little bit, and then everybody gets a cut. Everybody gets a cut on that deal. And it's, you know, the, the actual figures that we have, and I went back and looked at my notes, and go figure, I'm, I'm an anal retentive economist. But I actually had the notes that I had on y'all's show. And uh, I told you when you called me, I, would, I might accidentally have those. But, you know, it talks about, about some countries, what, what their actual social costs are. Uh, Saudi Arabia is $86.10 a barrel. Okay? 
The UAE, United Arab Emirates, is 74.30. Qatar, who just announced today that they were going to be leaving OPEC mm-hmm. because they want to spearhead a worldwide uh, market for natural gas, and they're a lo- much larger natural gas producer than they are crude oil. Um, you can go. We can go to list the, the biggest one on the list. You're gonna. It's gonna blow you. It's gonna blow you away. Biggest one on the list is Libya. <clears throat> their social cost, in other words, what they need to put in their coffers to make this work, is a hundred and eighty-four dollars and twenty cents. Wait, wait. To make what work, though, Tim? The social cost that they give to their citizens. Okay. So, like. Barring Jimmy Carter, when has it ever been at 184? Never been at 184. Yeah. Okay. The highest we ever went to was like 148 and some change. All right. Highest we've ever traded. It's crazy. Yeah. So, Cutter, Qatar, Cutter, however they yeah, want that pronounced. Right. Um, how does that compete with? So they're going to get into fracking. Is that what you're saying? No, they're getting they're they're they are abandoning the majority of their crude oil production, and they only produce about oh they right out a million barrels a day, and they are a much larger natural gas producer. Okay. If you'll notice, natural gas costs or prices have doubled in 2018. Hmm. We went from about low two dollars and some change. Up to four dollars and forty-one cents, where we closed today. So we've doubled the cost of natural gas, and so they see, you know, there are opportunities there. Plus, the lifting cost for natural gas is a whole lot cheaper, uh, and they can get it moved. There's a bigger market for natural gas. Why is gas it cheaper, Tim? Why is it cheaper? Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, obviously, it's still in the gas form. We 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 store it in a different form. We separate the bad gases from the better gases that we can keep. We put them in a condensed line that goes to a uh, really a lifting station that condenses it and puts it on a ship and goes to Europe. And I'll tell you, the biggest market for natural gas right now is Central Europe, the EU. Hmm. That's the reason, and I'll tie this in as well. We'll give you a little geopolitics here. That's the reason why the Russians have just recently put a uh, uh, missile battery uh, that is pointed towards the Ukraine, because the Ukraine has not only pipelines to Central Europe, but supply of natural gas to go to Central Europe, and the Russians don't have that. They have crude oil. So... This, this makes strange bedfellows, but, you know, the bottom line is the poor American, uh, you know, producer who does hydraulic fracturing, maybe directional drilling and the, and the really exotic things that give us such an, a vast amount of crude oil availability here in not only West Texas, but here in the United States. You know, our lifting costs are probably in the neighborhood of 11 to probably 36 to $37 a barrel. Hmm. Tim Snyder, he is president of <laughs> Matador Economics. As we roll along here, so expected that prices at the pump are going to jump. How much do you think they're going to jump, Tim? In in what duration of time? Well, let's let's say that we probably we had a big jump today. We had a, a kind of a little bit of a recovery, and that's because 
the President of the United States uh, uh, agreed to a moratorium on any more tariffs uh, with China. And we got a 90-day cooling-off period, which the markets liked, and it shows there's pressure off of the commodities. And, you know, our biggest market for uh, U.S. crude oil was China. The Chinese had been buying it from the Iranians and a couple others. And we, they actually took, uh, in, in kind of a, a gesture of, hey, this is what we really want to do, they actually accepted their first tanker of U.S. crude oil in almost eight months. Wow. So, the, we, you know, everything's, everything's kind of changing on there. Now, we, we, know, we knew this was going to happen. We've been watching this happen. We've been seeing the fundamentals in the marketplace tell us that geopolitics are driving this, uh, the, the old ifs and buts or candy and nuts kind of thing. Um, the issue we're looking at now is if, in fact, at the end of 90 days, we find that we are going to settle some of our tariff or trade war fears with the Chinese and what's going on with North Korea, the prices will rise again because the economy takes back control of the marketplace, and we'll see these prices come up. Okay. So to what extent, though, Tim, and over what duration of time? Mid-60s, upper 60s uh, is probably where we're going to be because we have such an abundance of crude oil in play right now. We've, you know, we've got a lot in storage. Uh, the storage numbers have been going up two, three, four million barrels a week. Um, we have uh, really strong economics today's uh, uh, production uh, producers uh, input number uh, on the economy was very for constru- for uh, manufacturing was very strong. PCE was very strong which shows us that manufacturing is coming back strong. These are all segments of the economy that tells the energy market we have need for more energy from you. Okay. And that's a good thing. It'll help the economy. Okay. So so we're looking at 250, 275, 3 dollars at the pump. We'll probably go back to where we were a couple months ago and I will tell you that these last Probably two months ago, the be probably the end of October when prices were still very high. We were in seventy three, seventy four, seventy five dollars a barrel in crude oil. Gasoline prices were still, as a national average, uh, over three dollars a gallon. And so we'll we could see that come back. It's not going to come back rapidly, but it is going to come back in twenty nineteen. Now, so, there's one more piece to this puzzle. Okay. If I can share it with you, that piece is is uh, capex. Capital expenditures that corporations plan for their 2019 fiscal budget. Um, initially, we had a pretty robust idea. You know, during the middle of the year, it looked like we were going to we were going to go pretty strong, and the U.S. was going to go gangbusters in developing some more of the infrastructure that we had. We have to have crude oil uh, pipelines completed and those kinds of things, which we start to complete middle of next year. And we'll go on till probably the early 2021, 20, 22 maybe. Uh, but with additional availability to move crude oil out of the Permian Basin primarily, 
from like 3.2, 3.3 million barrels a day, all the way up to 6 million barrels a day uh, by the end of maybe 2022, we shall be able to, first of all, manage that increase in prices because of the volume increase that we're pulling out of our own market. And, and, and the best part about this, Jay, is your station, your radio show is being heard in the Permian Basin where this is going to happen. Yeah, so, Tim, tell me this. Yep. Let's go insider here. Uh, you know, I'm just, we didn't talk about this in pre-show, but I, now you've piqued my interest. Sure. If I'm going sure. to pay more at the pump, maybe I should make some money on it. If uh, these prices are about to go up, uh, let's say a fella has uh, a fella with a dirty garage, a purgatory of a garage <laughs> that uh, cleaned it up this weekend, like myself. Aha! Uh-huh. Wants to throw in two, three, four thousand dollars in the stocks right now, knowing that oil is going to go up. Where would we put that money? Pipeline companies and. Uh, the uh, production companies, companies that take the oil after the product has been drilled. Remember, the the, the production frontier is the bailiwick of the big oil companies, the Exxon Mobiles, the uh, Marathon, the ConocoPhillips. That's their that's their realm. And our opportunity, we can buy stock in them. We can do what we can do. I like companies that are production companies like. I'm not making suggestions here. Please do not take of this course. as a suggestion to Of buy. course. Legal but disclaimer would, here. Right. Absolute legal disclaimer here. But I like Apache oil. I like, you know, Pioneer. I like, uh, there's several that I like. I like the pipeline company, Kinder Morgan. Uh, you know, I like those companies that are going to benefit from expanded production. Expanded production means increased volume and every barrel more that we put into that pipe there's a profit that's going to be made on that barrel by the pipeline company. So that's what I would do. All right. Well, Tim Snyder, appreciate uh, I was just reading through this stuff and said, you know, I got a call. It's the uh, oil yeah. buster. It's uh, not the there ghost buster, but I got to call <laughs> Tim Snyder. Uh, Tim, thank you yeah. for your time, buddy. You bet, Jay. I appreciate it. All right. Tim Snyder. Uh, and Tim, uh, Tim, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. If people okay. want to find out more about matador uh economics right they can they can look at matadoreconomics.com or they can listen to our energy show on krfb am 580 on thursdays at twelve thirty with jim stewart and me and whoever knows we can get whoever we can get in touch with them. all right he is tim snyder appreciate you tim and uh, you we'll, we'll talk to you in the near future i'm sure Sounds great, Jay. We look forward to doing it again. All right, uh, Tim Snyder, boys and girls. Get out with that. Get in with uh, a couple of texts that we have in and close out the program. Stick right with us here. About 90 seconds from now, Robert Earl taking you out. You're welcome. You're welcome very much. We have to Today, had some old checkbooks today that I just set aside. I said, you know what, I'm going to let uh, Lubbock File Room destroy those. Tim on the text line and Ronnie on the text line. Tim saying it's pronounced Cutter and Ronnie Qatar, like guitar with a 
K. Qatar. Um, I don't know. It makes me think about, and it's tis the season, it makes me think about the old Garrison Keillor line back before the Me Too movement, whenever Garrison Keillor was still around, and asked uh, with all these um, with all these Christmas pageants that go on where people stand up and they dress up like Middle Eastern uh, Jews uh, do you ever think that uh, Middle Eastern Jews ever dress up like white guys from the American Midwest I, I don't know but that's how I'm trying to learn to pronounce Qatar or Qatar Charity chiming in, my wife, lovely wife, 17 years. Uh, what about your chili? Was that not the best of the weekend? My chili was the best of the weekend. I made a beautiful brisket and uh, prepared some Perdinalis chili mix and then cut up about five pounds of the brisket into cubes. And I'm going to be eating that all week. I've got acid reflux right now with the Perdinalis chili, an old LBJ ladybird favorite. You uh, put all that together, and then um, they didn't have the pressure crock pots at that time. We do, but you throw in five jalapenos, and it's all good. It is all good. Uh, what about your worst of the weekend, Charity? What about the garage, and what's your role in that? That's what I don't know. Um, what do you got in all that? What, what, what role did you have in all that? That's what do you got? Yeah. Um. So this edition, thank you for tuning in, telling friends that you hang out here. Only the best that we give you here. Hopefully, hopefully, my new BFF. I'm just. I've got my fingers crossed, my eyes closed. Hopefully, David Yost will join us tomorrow on the program. For Scott Braddock, for Tim Snyder, going to sign off, going to get home, got to get home, actually not going home, going to the 11-year-old daughter's choir performance tonight at her school, and then going to get home and um, enjoy some time with my Leafs and Tribe. Hope you have the opportunity to do the same. We'll be right back here with you tomorrow where Buddy Holly became famous, where we rave on right here, AM 580 Lubbock, and on the podcast, Apple, Google, uh, Android, uh, Spotify, uh, anywhere you can find it. And I want to thank Anchor and our friends at Flipboard for coming on board, advertising on the show. We'll see you right here next time on your other side of Texas. It's who we want to be, barely up and just make it, and two-step on the rain.